Butch, we're talking about faith, and we've been discussing how what we believe influences who we are, but also how we interact with the world around us. Yep. And uh, we've been talking how faith is is many times an action. Yep. And not just a belief. Right. And uh, I know you're a guy that's out out and about quite a bit. How have you been uh, living your faith recently these days? Well, I, I one of the things I last week um, on the, on Monday the fifteenth, Martin Luther King Day, I saw an uh, advertisement from the College of Worcester that they were having a prayer meeting. Okay, prayer breakfast and brunch, having a speaker come in and uh, was going to talk about justice. Okay, and so I I thought you know what I, I'm going to go to that because you know we you and I were talking about finding common ground and and I, I think we need to put ourselves out there sometimes sure. and put ourselves in places and positions that we maybe are not used to being in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked a couple of friends to go, and uh, it's always good to have some people with you to, if you've gone to a place that that you've never gone before. Um, and what Jesus did. You, well, that's he, true. He, he did. A few guys he, did. he did. Um, and so a couple of friends went with me, and and uh, we went to the prayer breakfast. And it, now I can say this: it felt like I went to church that day. Um, it was a it was different and was different from the standpoint that I was my uh, two friends and I were probably in the minority in terms of three male white guys. And as I looked around and saw the folks there, a lot of people of color, a lot of female, a lot of females, uh, probably more females than males there. So we were the minority. And um, there's always a little bit of discomfort in when you're not in the majority. Sure. And I felt a little bit of that discomfort. And uh, it's like when I was growing up in Pecos, Texas, 85% Hispanic now, probably 60 to 65 when I was growing up. Probably the high school is probably 50-50, maybe maybe 60-40 Hispanics to whites. Sure. And I I remember when the Hispanic kids, when they didn't want you to... hear what they if they wanted to say something they said they talked in spanish with each other around the white kids yeah and so we the white kids would automatically assume they're talking about us right and maybe they were right and there's yeah. a good chance that they were but it was a discomfort you know mm-hmm. and so i felt a little bit of that discomfort last monday but Overall, I, when it was said and done, I told my friend, I said, I said, hey, we went to church together today. And the discussion was centered on justice and obviously racial equality and so forth. And you and I will we'll talk about that uh, sure. in a future podcast because uh, I think we have to talk about it. If you value diversity. Yeah. You've got to discuss it at some point. Yeah. And diversity, we, we that's almost become a a bad word, especially if a white person hears that, oh, here we go again, I know where they're headed. But really, and and I'll just say this about it, I, and even the phrase white privilege makes, is is a, a hot word. And when, when people that are white hear that, they get, tend to get defensive. And I understand it. I understand that. But the truth is, 
as a white male in the United States of America, I had an advantage from the start. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Uh, yes. When I was an undergrad, they taught us the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant leadership that our our country was founded on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't always great to be Catholic in this country either. Right. You know, but those wasps, white yeah. Anglo-Saxon Protestants, they were the ones ruling. Right. And I'm not a Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> and I have Anglo-Saxon roots. <laughs> so you had an advantage. That's privilege. Okay. So we'll you we'll talk about that in some future broadcast and and cuz it challenges me. Right. It challenges me. And uh, so I was challenged at the MLK prayer breakfast and um, uh, it, it was it was a good, good thing to, to be a part of. Uh, just a, a quick story about uh, how I used to feel about the College of Worcester. Uh, and we'll talk more about hearing a little bit about uh you know, how politics have evolved and, and how it, maybe it's evolved with you and me, right. political views. But back in the late, mid to, mid to late 80s, a guy named Frank Peretti wrote a book called Piercing the Darkness. And this book was about a small community that had a liberal arts college in that community. And the liberal arts college was taken, that's where the demons had come in and taken possession of that college. And everything bad that was happening in that small community came forth from that college. Okay. You know, a liberal college. Sure. And so Frank Peretti wrote this novel and I read that novel. I ate it up. Mm -hmm. And so I had not moved to Worcester at that point in time, but I knew enough about Worcester and the College of Worcester that I, I was very, uh, I pretty much had identified the College of Worcester as that college in Frank Peretti's sure. book. Right. You know, that's possessed because it's liberal. It's possessed by demons and everything bad that happens is coming from that. And so I look back in a way and 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 I feel almost ashamed mm -hmm. that I felt that way about the College of Worcester. So when I stepped on the campus, I've been on the College of Worcester campus for sporting events. But this was the first time that I had been on campus to attend a, a gathering like this. So, but it was enlightening. It was a good thing. And it was stretchy for me. Right. You know, and, and I do want to be stretched. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Did you learn anything while you were there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just, I learned that justice for African Americans looks different than justice for maybe you and I. Mm-hmm. When we hear the word justice, we think of maybe a judge making a decision and giving somebody what they have coming to them. Right. Whereas the justice that an African-American, or at least a speaker, and, and I'm sure Martin Luther King had this view too, the justice that they speak of is making things right. Hmm. A, a day when as Martin Luther King said, that the white child and the black child will play together. It's Martin Luther King, but on the in his speech in, in Memphis, saying, "I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen what he saw was equality, and that black people would no longer be 
viewed as a inferior group, sure. Sure. but would be viewed with equality. Right. And yes, progress has been made, but there's a long way to go. And like I said, we're going to we're going to talk a, yes. a lot about that going forward. And yeah. and and I, I want to be challenged. I, I want to continue to be challenged in in my right. view of race. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when, when you know, when you talk about justice, you know, it, that that kind of ties right into, you know, politics, if you will. You can't separate the, the structure two. of our society. Yeah. You know, at the gathering uh, last Monday, no, no politics were not mentioned. There was no vote this way or vote that way, mm -hmm. or we don't support this person, but support this person. But when you speak of justice, you can't remove the politics from it. Right. Because really politics is about policy. It's the powers at be, that be who set the policy, and that affects all of us, Luke. Right, right. It exactly. affects all of us. So even though politics wasn't front and center, it was there. And you're right. right. It goes, it's, uh, it, it, this segues right into what we're going to talk about today. And, and, and that's faith informing politics. Right. I, I love politics from a standpoint of making policy. Yeah. But I think the, the definition of, of what politics means has kind of morphed over the years. And it's, it's almost meant more to, to kind of be the the creation of tribalism. Right. And um, so I kind of look at politics as being the guidelines. Yeah. You know, it, when, when I think of what are, what, it, what is Luke's politics, it's like, well, I look at it, I, I phrase it more of what guides Luke. Yeah. What are the, the belief structure that he, the core values that he just wouldn't ever leave? Yeah. Does that I, make sense? I, yeah, it does make sense. I think it's a good way of saying it. It's really, it's policy. It's, and, and when... Uh, You've heard this. I'm sure you've heard this. I heard it growing up my, almost my whole life. Still hear it. Oh, you can't talk about two things, faith and politics or religion and politics. But the reality is politics affect us all. Mm -hmm. Policy affects us. Right. And throughout the ages, political systems have come and gone. Have they not? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And. You've heard it said called the American experiment. Have you heard that mm -hmm. phrase? Absolutely. And it really is an experiment, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a political system. A, 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 maybe I'll just use democracy because that's the word that we all know. There's never been a democracy like the United States of America. Agreed. Okay, the experiment is fantastic, and it's founded upon the principles of liberty and justice for all. Now, my question to you, Luke, is has everyone benefited from that? No. No, because even when we have equality, it doesn't mean we have equity. Okay. And benefits come from equity. Yeah. Equality just means we all have the same shot. Yeah. Equity means we also got the, the, the check for the profits. Yeah. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm kind of more from the business side of things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, thinking about that AAA line item. But it is so true. And, you know, and again, I'm, I am, I, I'll just say it on the front end here. I am thankful that I was born in the United States of America. Right, right. No question about it. 
But I'm not so naive to think that this, the establishment of this country was ordained by God and that God set this up as a, as a theocracy. Right. Because our founding fathers, they saw that, they saw, they, they fought against that. Right. No, we're not a theocracy. Right. We're government, we're, we're for the people and by the people. Right. So that, that's, our, that's our system, and I, I, I believe in, in that, but I also know that we've fallen way short. So, so if, if it is for the people, of the people, and by the people, what should the people be about then? That's a great question. And, uh, well, I mean, let's talk about that some. But for, Was there someone in the Bible that gave us some, well, some, it, some ideas you know, there, Yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I, I certainly want to get to that, okay? And, um, and I think he was even called Lord and King. Right. Okay? Right. His followers, after he uh, later called, and some and many of us still say lord mm-hmm. which is has political implications does right. it not oh it absolutely does has political implications so let's let's i want to i want to ask you though uh and and i'll i'll tell you a little bit about my own uh the pol- how politics have been a part of my life and influenced my life what i heard from my grandparents what i heard from my parents schools so forth but i want to and, and i want us to talk about that together for, for just a minute I, i'll start us off on that because i want to go back to my mammal yeah okay oh, i love these stories uh, you, uh, yeah, yeah. if you're from texas you don't have a great you names. don't have a grandma you no. have a meemaw mammal or a moomaw or something like that right? there's only five vowels so yeah. there's only so many ways yeah. you can go with it so and i've noticed i notice up north though up north you know in this Us area Yankees? yeah they've started it that's the fad now is to call grandmas not by not grandma but by some cute name and most grandmothers want to have a cute name right Right. Well, right. I had a mammal, and uh, we loved our mammal. All of uh, my brothers and my cousins, she's, she was good to us. She was a tough lady, though. Mm-hmm. She, her mother died when she was two. She grew up in a family with pretty much mostly boys. Her sisters were older. And uh, she uh, was born in the uh, panhandle of Texas, really South Plains panhandle, Texas. And, and, um, oil country. Right? Yeah. Well, no, this was more farming country, Okay, but she would have been born. She was probably born in, in 1921, somewhere in there. Okay. Her family moved to California. Now she didn't cause she had married my papa who was, uh, farming in in that area of texas but her family her brothers and sisters or her dad picked up and moved to california this was the a true grapes of wrath story sure if you know that novel you know depression dust bowl well they moved out to california and she stayed in texas during the depression the New Deal, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal, was put into place. And in her mind, FDR saved the country. And there's some arguments maybe for that with some of the programs he put into place. Well, she was a New Deal Democrat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Franklin Delano, and she was going to, I mean, she wouldn't vote for a Republican for any reason. Sure. 
But I've got to believe today she would be a hard right Republican. Knowing who my mama was, I would think today, and I asked my son Marcus about that. I said, you think mama would be a hard right Republican today? And he goes, absolutely, just like that. So there would be an example of politics changing. Right. Okay. Right. So then... I, the, my first exposure to politics was when my mom and dad, I knew, I, I grew up in West Texas in the, de, in the desert out there. We were isolated, okay? Didn't know anything about civil rights movement. Didn't, didn't know, none of that was really even talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have a lot of exposure to politics in that sense. But I remember my mom and dad voting for Barry Goldwater in uh, 1964, uh, instead of uh, Linda B. Johnson, who was a Texan. Yeah. And then when I got in fifth grade, uh, I started getting a little bit more aware of politics. I wrote a letter to the White House and Richard Nixon was the president. And I get back this form letter with this picture of his family. And I was so proud of that. Yeah. And, and then rolling it forward. I would say that, you know, my family is fairly conservative, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't, we weren't political. There was not politics in the church. There wasn't discussions about it and, and so forth. But in 1980, that's the first election I ever voted in. I voted for Ronald Reagan, mm -hmm. okay, instead mm -hmm. of Jimmy Carter. My values really probably line up more with Jimmy Carter's today, not so much politically, but spiritually and right. faith wise. Two habitat men. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, and then roll that forward uh, and coming, you know, into the 80s, being uh, involved with uh, as a CPA and, and business people who want to keep as much money as they can, you know, the anti-tax thing. And I was obviously judged by how much money I could save people on taxes. And my views were uh, were fiscally conservative. I was a physical con fiscal conservative. And then I was, you know, pretty conservative, uh, socially and, 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 and so forth. And, um, and, you know, listen to some talk radio. And, and I, sadly, I remember a time in our church that, that there was a guy, um, that was a Democrat, one of the few Democrats in the, in the church. And we just, we, we were mean to him. Right. I mean, and, and he and it angered him. And I look back on that with shame now. Sure. And um, I feel bad about it. But, uh, you know, then we talk about him. How can he be a Democrat? You know, and but then here's where I changed or started to change. When you mentioned Habitat, I came and I think I said it last podcast I on the board of Habitat for Humanity in 2000. And I was going to be the token evangelical that would get them straightened out. You know, they're not, right. this is, it's not just do good, uh, do good liberals. I'm going to come in and we're going to, we're right. going to make it a little bit more conservative here. Right. And I, the executive de director was very liberal. Okay. And in her politics. But what I saw in her that she cared for and loved the people that they were serving. She took it to heart. She lived it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I started then seeing her for who she was instead of seeing her for how I had labeled her. Right. 
right. and it changed. And then some other things as I started reading bro- more broadly and looking at things and and um, and even sending my si- kids to Central Christian. I remember when we sent them out there and they called their kids teachers by their first name. I thought that was so disrespectful. And I mean, you can you'll be able to tell, oh, yeah. talk about that yeah. a little bit. And then I went to a basketball game. They don't say uh, play the national anthem. Mm-hmm. And even one guy uh, uh, I saw when we went to now. Don't get me wrong. When we would go to other uh, gyms, the central people were always courteous. They would stand up, and they never. Uh, now I did see one guy not stand up. Sure. And, and, you know, if you're on, if you're in their, in their gym, respect what they do. Right. If you, it, there's a culture of honor that should be established. Yeah. 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 And of course the, the, the Anabaptist views on how they view the uh, politics were uh, different than mine, mm-hmm. but I learned from, from uh, uh, the Mennonites, and I'm still learning from, from Mennonite friends, mm-hmm. uh, to see the kingdom of God, not just the king, not just uh, uh, America as God's chosen, but to see how God is, God is the ruler of the world and how God cares for every single nation and every single person. So that's kind of an evolution uh, uh, how my politics has have evolved. So you tell me a little bit about about you know how you know how your politics, not so much where you're at and who you vote for now sure. and that sort of thing, but just kind of what you heard and and how that influenced you and yeah. uh, and, and so forth. Yeah, my, my upbringing. You know, I I was born in the '80s, but my childhood was in the '90s. Okay. And uh, I'd say that's the decade of focus on the family in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Right, right. Um, And so, you know, we were were being taught a lot of things that we were being told, you know, from outside sources. And specifically, the pro-life, pro-choice issue was made, especially in the church that I grew up in and in the family I was in. That was the differentiator between if you're a Christian or if you're not. Okay, yeah. I, I can't say it was that, a, a litmus test. Right. I will not say that there was a Sunday school teacher that said you're going to hell if you are pro-choice. Yeah. I won't say that, but you know how you just walk away with certain impressions, and over time it was very clear that if you love Jesus, you love babies. You're yeah. pro-life. Right. And my grandfather, Larry Martin, he was one of the most stoic men I, I know, I knew when he was living, um, until he needed to speak, until there was so- time to do something, he was just still observing, listening, and he would always talk about pro-life, and he would, he would mention the scripture verse that, that where God says, how can I bless the nations if they don't listen to my commands? Okay. That was his whole hang up with pro-life, pro-choice. Okay. And he, and he just believed be fruitful and multiply applied to having kids. Okay. Um, and, and we'll get into more of my story in other episodes about my father passing away at 11. Yeah. And so when I was 11, right. I'm at 11. So as being an 11 year old, I did not have a chance to have many political discussions with my dad. Yeah. Except for he, he made it clear he did not necessarily think it was a good use of time. 
Okay. He, he's a, he was a farmer. He was more practical. He's like, I need to eat today. Yeah. So I'm going to go out and plant today. <laughs> yeah. You guys worry about that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I, I definitely grew up in, in, in an environment where I did not feel comfortable being a Democrat and, and, and I didn't want to be, you yeah. know? And, and so when I came when it, when I turned 18 to, to, to be able to register to vote, sign the draft card or whatever it is. It's not a draft card, but register to be if there ever would be a Selective service. Yes. Yeah. Um, when it came time to be 18, my grandfather had a conversation with me. He's like, well, what, what party are you going to register for? And I was blown away. I'm like, Grandpa, like we didn't have cool names like the Southerners, you know, but I'm like, Grandpa, what are you talking about? Like Republican yeah. all the way. Yeah. And he's a guy that was a poll worker. He was a guy that was very uh, active in the community. And he's like, well, you know, I'm a Democrat. And I said, I actually started crying, Butch. It was that much of a betrayal. And, and your he, grandpa Martin, my grandpa Martin, his entire life was a registered Democrat. And he goes, Luke, FDR saved a lot of stuff for us. So he was a New Deal Democrat. Yes, just as you bring <laughs> up your mama. Yeah, I, it's great. We didn't even talk about yeah, these stories before yeah. we started recording, yeah. Butch, because it does parallel you. And it was then that I realized. Yeah, I love George W. Yeah, yeah. I, I love to shoot guns. Oh, I, I will never stop shooting guns. I'm sorry. It's just fun. Just yeah. like I'll never stop playing sports. It's fun. Yeah. You, you know? Yeah. And so I pretty much was like, whoa, hold on here. There's more than there's more than what I've been looking at. Yeah. And, you know, an easy Google search will find that if you search Luke Martin, I'm a registered Republican. Yeah, I am too. But I like to be around people that I need to push sometimes. That's a good point. You know, and I chose that party because I was once told that it's the grand old party. It's a big tent. There's yeah. a lot of different thoughts and mindsets in here. Right. We can do this and told this the party of Lincoln. Yeah. And again, so that's that's where I have come from of just realizing that no individuals do choose different issues they they do come to their own faith they, they yeah. bring their faith into this and they don't all just accept a party platform yeah, yeah. does that make sense yeah it does make sense now let me ask you because i mentioned central you went to central mm -hmm. and uh, i we have a said uh, mentioned that you and i were brought up in the same uh denomination essentially i right. mean uh churches of christ that's correct now you were instrumental church of christ that's i right. was non-instrumental right. and it's interesting just as a side note here that split and this is was from the american restoration movement is is where the churches now there's three distinct churches that came out of that okay. the non-instrumental church of christ the Instrumental Church of Christ or Christian Church, which would be like Orville Christian Park View. Okay, okay, sure. And the Disciples of Christ, which has become more mainline denomination, which would be the most liberal. People would say the most liberal of all of all three of those churches. I wondered why our youth group was never allowed to hang out with the Disciples <laughs> of Christ. That's not a that's for real for real. We wouldn't play oh, any I'm Super Bowl parties so, with them. So that's the funniest thing I've heard yeah, all week. Yeah. And the week's pretty short, but still. <laughs> but but you, we come from the same background, all mm -hmm. right? Now, mm -hmm. just as I was to finish up my, my what I was going to do, a little history here. That split between the instrumental and non-instrumental church 
took place during the Civil War. So do you really think it was over the instrument? No. No. Like so many other churches, you can chase trace splits back to that time frame and then they scapegoated it by saying it was about something else. Right. Right. But I have a pretty good idea of what it was about. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. S word. Yeah. It slavery. was it was it was over the slavery. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyway, that's but just you and I come from this. So when you went to Central, mm-hmm. okay, a Mennonite school, mm-hmm. all right, and you were you were at Worcester Christian, where you guys would say the Pledge of Allegiance at right. Worcester Christian schools, right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And you certainly didn't call your teachers by their first name. No. All right. No, sir. So when you went as a, did you go in seventh grade or high school? I transferred in high school. Okay. I went from Worcester Christian to Kingsway. Okay, so you had Which three. Which was even more conservative, yeah. You have uh, three Christian schools you went right, to. Right. Okay, I tell people I went to the Wayne County Big Three. <laughs> WCS, Kingsway, and okay. Central. Yeah. So when you went to Central, what was your impression? And and again, in this, we're talking in this political context. So it was it it it, it was it different for you? Yes, yes. Um, my immaturity led me to wanting to be a disruptor okay at central all right um be, because they they were very proactive about their stances on things and in explaining things and uh i remember the big thing was always you know hey we're pacifists here yeah and my joke at central was always like i'm a pacifist too i will pass my fist if you <laughs> piss me off like that and, and you know all the non-menants would always think that was funny yeah um but it, over time, I came to respect the way they approached social justice. Yeah. Because I never, I, I've, I've never, up until that point, I didn't have a chance to be around folks that prioritized social justice. Yeah, that's great. And I, I, it impacted me. Uh, Central had an impact on me and my kids. I mean, all three of my kids went there. And I'm, I'm thankful uh, that, that we did send our kids there. And they have lifelong friends. Right. I mean, you're friends with, with both of my you can't boys. can't get away from them. As yeah. much as I want, we start playing music, we yeah, do sport. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, right. so, so, yeah, the, the, we, we've changed, haven't we? We have. We've we changed, but you know, I, I'm the, the, the sad thing though, today in today's, I mean, 2024 is, I, so many people told me last year, uh, friends of mine, Paul, I'm just not looking forward to next year. And we all know why, because mm-hmm. we're going to be faced with a, with an election that's that, but here's, what's interesting. If you're on the left, you're fearful. And if you're on the right, you're fearful. So you can agree that on fear. If you talk to somebody and you go, man, this country is just not in a good shape and you don't know whether they're right or left, they're going to agree with you. Mm -hmm. Are they not? Absolutely. Now, if you talk a little bit more, then they're going to pigeonhole you. Oh, he's a liberal. Oh, he's conservative. Right. Oh, he's right wing. He's Fox News listener. Right. Oh, he listens to MSN. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, you're a Joe Scarborough yeah. Republican. Okay, yeah. never mind. Yeah. <laughs> so it, 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 we're in this tenuous time here, right. and we all feel it. Right. 
We all feel it. And, you know, it's it's just we're just a few minutes ago. I said that growing up, I never heard politics talked about in church. We very seldom talked about it in our family. Mm -hmm. We knew Mamma was a Democrat, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Okay, but in terms of, I mean, and my parents voted for Goldwater instead of voting for Lyndon B. Johnson, a Texan. It didn't cause strife in our family. Sure. I mean, it, so I didn't. That was that was that would have been so foreign. But today, it's right in our midst. It's right. We're having. We see families splitting over it. Mm-hmm. We see friendships being broken because of it. Mm-hmm. And we see churches splitting because of it. And it's 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 sad. It's very sad. I ha- I have landed, here's where I've landed, Luke. I'm neither right or left. Mm-hmm. Now I'm trying to look at politics through and have my faith inform my politics. And in order to do that, I've got to look to the person I think that brought a new politic, and that's Jesus. Mm. I mean, he said, my kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's the prayer he prayed. And it wasn't, I, I, when I was growing up, the way we dealt with the Lord's prayer was, well, we don't need to pray that because he was praying for the church to come. So we equated mm-hmm. the kingdom and the church. So that has already been answered, that prayer. But no, that's not how that, if you look at the whole context of, of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about bringing something new, bringing a new kingdom to earth. Right. His kingdom to earth. Right. A new politic. Right. In the physical world. Yes. Right. In our midst. Right. Bringing heaven to earth. In our midst, mm-hmm. it's that love that we were talking about. It's that loving your neighbor as yourself that we mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. So, but when but when you look at Jesus, it's easy for maybe somebody on the right to look and go, "Yeah, but when he says that, that sounds liberal." Or you, somebody on the left, looks at it and goes. I don't think Jesus went far enough. That's kind of what I want us to maybe, what does it look like to have our faith inform our politics? Right, right. What does that look like? I mean, I I think we have to, I got to look at, I got to have a model somewhere, I think. I need need somebody to spell it out for me. Mm -hmm. And I think Jesus did that in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's his kingdom manifesto. Right, right. The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. I mean, first of all, those that the people that came, those were the citizens of the kingdom. They mm-hmm. were citizens already because they, they were the poor in spirit. They were the ones that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They're the ones that were longing for something new to come. They were wanting to like they were wanting like Martin Luther King to be on the mountaintop and like Moses and see the promised land, see mm-hmm. something better. They were looking for the fulfillment. I'm preaching now. I'm doing a little preaching. I, 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 
I get away. Can I get away with that just a little bit? Okay. So, (laughs) so they wanted to see the fulfillment of Isaiah where the lamb would lie down with the lion, Mm -hmm. where the spears would be hammered into plowshares so that peace, that the picture of the lamb laying down with the lion is a picture of peace. Right. Uh, the 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 weapons being broke uh, uh, beat down into plowshares were a picture of let's take these weapons and make them into instruments of goodness for the good of humanity. Right, right. Isn't right. that powerful? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. That that's the vision. Right. Can I can I tell you though what what has transformed my life about the Beatitudes? Yeah, tell me. And it has been a pivot. Okay. Because it, I, I've had a chance, you know, growing up, going to church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the Beatitudes got it. Like, I heard it a hundred times, forwards and backwards. And I always took that as, you know, I should be more destitute. Yeah. I should be more the peacemaker. I should be this. I should be that. It's the Beatitudes. And now, as, as a 37-year-old dad, I look at it more as, no, when I come in contact with these different people that are destitute, the poor, the the you know the the downtrodden and the persecuted, that's where I need to say, whoa, they're the inheritance to the kingdom. I need to treat them with respect, honor, just as if this was the the prince of a king here in front of me. These guys need elevating. Yeah, that that is so good, Luke. Because I found so that's many, so good. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. It's that not is about so making good. me less. It's about saying, "Whoa, you've already got the yeah. blessing. Get on my boat." Yeah, that's awesome. Because I, I think that's the right interpretation of the of the Beatitudes. Because it's those. It was already who they were. It wasn't. I, I agree with what you were saying. Because when I would hear that, I would be saying, "Oh well, I got to." I got to work harder at being poor in spirit. I don't even know what poor in spirit right. means, but I got to work harder at it. And, and, and I, but they were, that's who they were. And that's, and then if you go a little bit further, Jesus says, y'all are the salt and the light. Right. Right. He wasn't saying become it. He said, you right. are the salt and the light. Right. You as citizens of heaven. Right. Are salt and light. Right. I, 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 I totally agree with you. And, and the way I've gotten there is that I've been around Christian, Christian business leaders who are ashamed by how much money they make. I know that in Holmes County, there are supercars hidden in garages and barns that the guys that own them are too afraid to take out and drive because they're afraid of what their community is going to think. And... I, I don't look at it that way of being ashamed by anything because Jesus said I should be poor. Right. Okay. But I look at it in terms of when I have my faith influence politics, it's like, okay, who has the policies yeah. that are elevating these people that Jesus already identified? Right. Right. And so that's where I get, as a millennial, and I think a lot of other millennials, we've retracted from politics because we see people saying on one side of their mouth that we are a Christian nation. And, on, and then the next day they're saying, these people are going to destroy who we are. Yeah. And I haven't, I never heard Jesus say that. No. 
You know, he talked about separating the sheep and the goats, but he never said that goats are going to make sheep into goats. Yeah, you know what I mean? And then, and then I went on a mission trip and I found good. out that a lot of people eat goats and goats yeah. are actually pretty good. I, I've eaten goat. It's actually pretty good. You know, that's good. So anyway. Yeah. No, I, I like what you're saying about because I, I connect with what you're saying on the Beatitudes, because I think I think that's what he's speaking to those people who were already citizens. Right. They got it. Right. They got it. Now he's encouraging them to carry that out. Be that salt and light. You already are. Just be that salt and light. Be that salt and light. And then here is the ethic. Somebody asks you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Mm -hmm. If someone sues you for your shirt, let them sue you for your coat. Because what would you do for a prince? If a prince walked in here and said, Butch, I need your shirt, I need your shoes, what'd you do? Yes, sir. Yeah. Here it is. But what about somebody that's not worthy of my shirt and not worthy of, I'm going to fight them tooth and nail, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jesus says, because he doesn't want you to get caught up in that. Right. He's saying, these are my princes and princesses. Yeah. He's saying, these are the heirs to everything right. the Father and I are doing. Yeah. Right. And so it's bless those who persecute you. How hard is that? And again, this is the kingdom ethic. Mm -hmm. This is the kingdom of God, which has come to earth, which is in our midst. Right. Now. Right. And it has been forever because the universal Christ has been reigning forever. Right. Okay. The word became flesh. Yeah. And made and, his dwelling among and us. And now the word becoming flesh, we're able to flesh this out. You see what I'm saying? We're able to flesh this out. But it's, we look at it. And if you look at some of these ethics, it's just downright un-American. Mm-hmm. Because mm -hmm. it's my rights. I've got protection under the law to protect what's mine. Jesus says, give to him who ask. Right. Well, what if they're not worthy of me giving them something? Okay. I. This is the ethics of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. So when I'm... Well, this has this this what has to inform my politics. The problem we have is well, first of all, it, it's I live in the tension of a dual citizenship. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, which means I'm a citizen of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not let, let's let's not think that this is the Jesus's kingdom, heaven, someplace that way beyond that someday when we pass from this life to that life, that's where we're going to be. No, it's in our presence. Right. Heaven is not a destination. It's an experience. It, and it's in our midst. Right. It has come to earth. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. That's the inaugural. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. It was already there, but like you said, he fleshed it out. Mm-hmm. So when I look and live in this tension of this dual citizenship, citizen of the U.S., which I've said earlier, I'm thankful for. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. That has to trump the other. Right. Right. My, the ethics of the kingdom of God has to inform my vote as a citizen of the United States. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I look, it's neither right nor left. There's things that folks on the left believe in that I say amen to. There's things that they believe in that I would disagree with and, and, and stand against. But on the right, there's things that I would say amen to, but there's things that I would disagree to and stand up against. Right. So it puts us in a difficult situation in terms of how to vote. And when we have these conversations, I can almost know that just as someone listens to this, if they're hard right or hard left, they're going to have a tough time listening to this and they're going to want to judge you or I as too liberal or too conservative. Right, right. If the extremes are hard left and hard right, does that mean I'm a soft middle? (laughs) Well, as I got gotten older, I've got a a no. You've got a lot harder middle than I do. (laughs) You might want to cut that one out. I don't have my shirt off right now, so we'll just let that that myth exist. So, so that's that's the tension that we that we live in. Yeah. And when I I do vote, and and I do think it it's it's a right that's been given to us, and and that I hope that is protected right. and i hope that everyone has an equal opportunity to vote under the law um i will exercise my right to vote but i have to look to jesus to inform my politics to my faith now let's let's back up a minute and say well what if you're not a christian if you think about it, though, if you think of, if, if we really think about it and you think about people like Gandhi, OK, mm-hmm. if you think about other religious groups and their core message, their core message is still the core message that Jesus has put forth. Right. The, right. the, the ethics in the kingdom of God are universal. Right. From the beginning of time. It has been in place, this ethic that we're talking about, this kingdom ethic. Mm -hmm. And for me, that has to inform my vote. Mm -hmm. And I my hope is that more people will catch a vision of what it could be if we did love our neighbor as ourself right if we did seek to find common ground if we would put ourselves in positions to learn from other people then maybe we can get taken to the mountaintop Mm -hmm. and see the promised land Mm -hmm.